May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the big question everyone's asking, why the rose? It's not pink, it's not salmon, it is rose, liturgically speaking. Color-wise, on whatever color palette you use, sure, pink, salmon, but liturgically it is rose. And you may be wondering why the rose in the middle of Lent on the fourth Sunday, why all of a sudden the rose, the pink? Well, there's a simple answer for that. Does anyone know it? One person knows it. Okay, good. I won't call on you to answer. But think back to Advent. Think back to the Advent wreath. Advent wreath has five candles. There's one white one in the center. We know that's the Christ candle. But think of the other ones we have here at St. James Paris. What color are they? Blue and rose. How many rose ones? One. The rest are blue. Blue to match our hangings. But there's a rose one that stands out. And we know that the rose-colored candle in Advent is for hope. As Advent, we are waiting and counting down to Christmas, and we know that when we light the pink candle, that our hope, our yearning, our longing is almost complete. That the celebration of the Nativity of Christ is almost here. Likewise, too, with the fourth Sunday of Lent. The fourth Sunday of Lent is called Letary Sunday. In Latin, it just means rejoice. Because the introit, that's the psalm we say at the beginning of the service as we process in, or before we process in, in Latin it says rejoice, right? I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We are rejoicing. Why? We are rejoicing because the war has been won. Christ has defeated Satan and his minions, and to him belong the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And that harkens back to the beginning of Lent, the first Sunday of Lent where we hear and read the story of Christ's temptation in the wilderness, where he is tempted by pleasure, possession, and pride to lead him astray from the mission that God has sent him to. But where Christ says no, he has demonstrated his power over Satan and over the devil, and his victory is ours. Because you will recall the devil fled from him. In the previous readings on the Sunday of Lent, we see that story of the spiritual warfare that is being waged between Christ, between the heavenly host and Satan and his minions. And in the healings of Jesus and the driving out of the demons, we see that power once again being enacted for the sake of those who are oppressed. And so we celebrate here in the fourth Sunday of Lent that the victory is won. Because Lent is a bit of a somber season, isn't it? We don't normally during Lent have flowers at the altar. Today we do, and that's part of the rose. We have our Lenten garden. There's green, there's growth, but there's also signs of the sticks and the thorns. And we have the, uh, the Lenten array at the, at the base of the altar, sticks, Thorns, snakeskin, rocks, bareness. Because we know that Lent is that season where we enter into the wilderness with Christ, where we particularly and especially dedicate ourselves to the spiritual practices of fasting and prayer 
and almsgiving. Not that we don't do those normally, we do. But in Lent, it's a special intensity. And the intensity of Lent sometimes can be a little bit much. So the church in its wisdom said the fourth Sunday of Lent, Letere Sunday, is a chance for us to take a breather, to remind ourselves that though the battle is still being fought, the war is already won. Because rose is a symbol of what is to come. It's a symbol of flowers, of spring, of growth. It's a symbol of mothering. This is why in the life of the church, today is often called in, Anglican, in the Anglican Communion, Refreshment Sunday. It's not Refreshment Sunday because there's Kool-Aid and tea and cookies in the hall afterward, although because it's vestry down in the lower hall, we'll have cookies and donuts, but that's not why it's called Refreshment Sunday. It's called Refreshment Sunday on account of what was just read in the Gospel, the refreshment that we receive from Christ giving us that heavenly bread, Remember last week we talked about Jesus casting out or telling the parable of the man when a, sins, or when a demon is cast out, the demon leaves and the guy gets his house in order. He gets rid of all the sin and all the things that are easily entangling him, all the stuff he's hoarded up, his resentment and envy and all that. And Jesus comes in and cleans house. But Jesus says if we don't fill that space that, he has, been clean, that has been cleaned out, it'll just accumulate more and more and more spiritual junk. So on Refreshment Sunday, we are reminded that as we are forgiven of our sins, as Jesus has come to take away those feelings of anger and hostility and resentment and envy and greed and all the pride, we fill it with Christ's own presence. The presence that he gives us in word and sacrament. And that is why today is also called, so we got Letary Sunday, Refreshment Sunday, it's also called Mothering Sunday in the Anglican Communion. Why Mothering Sunday? It's not Mother's Day. Well, Mother's Day is not technically on the liturgical calendar. We celebrate our mothers. But today, especially, it's called Mothering Sunday because of the reading that Phil gave from Galatians, where St. Paul says, Jerusalem, which is above, is free. It is the mother of us all. Have you noticed we've talked a lot about Jerusalem in the readings today? Jerusalem gets mentioned a lot. And we know that Jerusalem is a historical city. It's in Israel, in the Holy Land. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you get to walk and see all that history living around you. But St. Paul says we have to understand Jerusalem not merely in an earthly way, a literal fashion, but more importantly, in a spiritual fashion. The heavenly Jerusalem is our spiritual home. It's the place that we are headed toward. It is the final destiny of our pilgrimage here on earth is our heavenly home. That's not to say that the things of earth are bad. We've talked about in Lent how we are reconfiguring our loves. Like food is good, but loving food too much is a problem. Sex is good, but loving sex too much is a problem. We all need money to live, but accumulation of money and possessions is a problem. So where we are reminded that these earthly goods are good, but they are not the final destination. Our heavenly Jerusalem is our home. So when we read of the scripture, in the scriptures, in the Psalms of Jerusalem, our minds are not going to the Holy Land. Our minds are going to our heavenly home. The church is our mother. 
here on earth. It's kind of the waiting point. It's the, it's the embassy of heaven. St. Cyprian, who was a bishop in the third century, and we celebrate in the Anglican Communion his feast day on September 16th, he once famously said, no one can have the church as father who does not have the church as mother. No one can have, the, have God as father who does not have the church as mother. Honor your father and your mother. Yes, we do this hopefully in a earthly, literal sense, but also in a spiritual sense. The church is our mother. Now, often in my day-to-day -day routines and walking around, people know, learn that I'm a priest, and their response are is, oh, I believe in God, and I'm kind of a spiritual person, but I'm not into organized religion. My response is always, oh, try working for it. It's true. Right? Anyone who works in organized religion doesn't necessarily have a great love for organized religion, too. But we have to see that the institution is important. But the church cannot be reduced to the mere institution. Right? Today, we're going to have a discussion about the institution of the church at Vestry, and we talk about some financial stuff, but we cannot reduce the church just to that. Because if the motherhood of the church was simply writing checks and paying bills, it's kind of a sad institution, isn't it? But the church is our mother in a bigger and more important sense. The church is not the priest. The church is not just the people. The church is all these things with the presence of Christ, our brother, holding us all together. Our earthly mothers we love, hopefully. Maybe we don't all have a good relationship with our earthly mother. That's understandable. Mothers and fathers will fail. And the same is true with the church as our mother. The human side of it will fail. I have failed. Time and time again. But the church cannot be reduced to its human component. Because it's much bigger than that. The church is part of a worldwide communion with our sisters and brothers from across the globe. But it's also part of a heavenly communion with all the faithful who have gone on before us. And more than that, it is the bride of Christ. So if the church is our mother, Christ is our brother. And what does Christ offer us? He offers us his very self. He refreshes us with his word. He refreshes us with his body and blood. We were born earthly on our birthdays when our mothers gave birth to us. Everyone on earth has a mother. You may not even know who your mother is in some cases, but all of us has a mother. We are born into the church on the day of our baptism, where we are adopted into the family of Christ, where God is our mother and church, where God is our father and the church is our mother. Because the church offers those means through the grace of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the works of the sacraments, of baptism by which we are brought in, by holy communion by which we are sustained. We are refreshed by what Christ alone can give us. And what does he give us? As I said, he gives us his body and blood. He gives us the church so that we may receive him as our brother. So yes, the church as an institution, it'll fail. 
the church as a people, yeah, we don't always get along. Not just internally in our parish, but also with other Christians. We don't always see eye to eye on things. But we have to focus on Christ, the one who holds us together as a body, who is our head, who is our brother, because he shows us who God the Father is by his own giving of himself. And this is why the church is our mother. It can be hard to conceptualize an institution or an organization as a mother. We can believe, we see the family as a community, as a fellowship, as a family, yes. But as mother, it can be hard for us to wrap our heads around this. And this is why Mary stands as a figure or type of a mother. It helps us to conceptualize, right? Christ was born of a woman. There she is, right there. That's his mom. She's sitting on her lap in the back stained glass. No one can deny that. If you deny that Jesus was born of a woman, we have a big problem. But it's, easy to have a rela- it's easier to have a relationship with a person than it is to have with an institution. And so when we have this relationship, we understand these family metaphors of family and father and brother spiritually. In the lesson that, Paul, uh, that uh, Phil read to us, there's the overtones. Paul is referring to the story of Isaac and Ishmael. And I'll just rehearse that just so you're fresh in your memory. Remember, Abraham had this meeting with God, and God comes to him and says, you and your wife are going to have a son. And Abraham in his 90s and Sarah in her 90s laugh. Wouldn't you laugh? How many of you here are still ready and able and willing to have children? My wife, I'm making sure she's saying no. Can you imagine at at whatever age you're at now saying, yes, of course, a newborn child, that best thing in my life? No, Sarah laughs. We know this. And so Sarah and Abraham concoct this plan to force God's hand, as it were. Sarah says, take my slave, Hagar. She can give you the child of the promise, and that way God is fulfilling his promise on our own terms. And so Hagar and Abraham do the thing, and Hagar gets pregnant and has a son named Ishmael. And there was much rejoicing. God is faithful after all. It just took us to make it happen. God says, no, 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 no. No. Sarah is going to become pregnant in the way that I will determine, because nothing is impossible for God. And so, isn't that just like God? To bring life where life seems impossible? to bring life out of a dead and barren womb. And so Paul here is playing on this metaphor. It's not that God rejects Ishmael and Hagar. We know that story that God does provide for them and makes a covenant with Hagar and Ishmael. But God says you can't do it on your terms. You have to receive it on the basis and the means by which I give it to you. So we are children, as Paul puts it, of the free woman, of the heavenly Jerusalem. We are children of the church because we are born by the Spirit and by water. We are born anew into the life and the fellowship of Christ and all his people here on earth, but also with all his people who have gone on to their heavenly reward. So in the midst of Lent, in the somberness, in the barrenness, in the stripped-downness, and next week is Passion Sunday, we're really getting close to Holy Week, and the events of Holy Week. You can see the Stations of the Cross are getting up. 
we take a moment to refresh ourselves, to remind ourselves of our heavenly destination of our mother, who cares for us by giving us the body and blood of her son and sustaining us with his heavenly word. So let us receive these great gifts of God and give thanks to God our Father for our brother Christ through the Holy Spirit and in the fellowship of our mother, the church. Amen. <laughs>